0: Let's pray. Lord, thanks for your goodness. Thanks that we get to sit at your feet and thanks that you're working all over the world. Sometimes as we recognize it, sometimes as we don't. Sometimes we recognize it years later. And Lord, help us just to be aware, alert, faithful, diligent, that we can have the tremendous, tremendous privilege of living faithfully in obedience to you during these years on on this life. Lord, please have your way with us now. Do a work in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you would turn to 1 Timothy chapter 4. If you're visiting, we have a habit. Uh, We go verse by verse, chapter by chapter, line by line through the Bible. Today, you happen to find us in 1 Timothy chapter 4. It's a, great, it's a great book, and I believe a great chapter. Paul's been giving some instructions to this young pastor, Timothy. Uh, most commentators say he's probably about 35 years old, which is young, right? Yeah. That's young. 35 is young. 30 years ago, I didn't think it was young, but now I think it's young. Uh, First and second first and second chapters first couple chapters of this book he's given some principles about church type stuff. Chapter three he goes into some specifics about overseers and deacons, and keep in mind when the letter was originally written uh there weren't sort of chapter divisions there but um and so Chapter 3 to chapter 4 kind of flow as a thought, and so in order to kind of capture that, let's review a little bit. Chapter 3, starting in verse 8, he spoke about deacons, right? The deacons are kind of the workers in the church, uh, those who kind of work in their ministry, and we've talked about several times, we are all, if we're Christians, we are ministers. If we are Christians, we are serving in, in some capacity, what, not necessarily in this church, but in some capacity, our lives are a service to others because we're thankful for what God has done in our lives. And so um, those principles really, although they're specifically written to deacons in the church, they're really principles for servanthood in the Christian life. And so they're good principles for Christian living because we're all ministers. If we look at verses 13 to 15, we see, he says, For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a good standing and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. These things I write to you, though I hope to come to you shortly, but if I am delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of truth. And so what he's talking about here is, you know, there's a, there's a principle here, and that is we all have as, a, as, a, as ministers, right, we all have a message, right? What's our message? Jesus died for you. God loves you, right? God has a plan for your life. God, God loves you more than you'll ever realize. God saved you. You're not saved by your own works. You're saved by grace. All of that. That's our message. But we have to recognize that sometimes the credibility of our message can be uh, enhanced or hindered by our lives. Is that fair? Right? If I say Jesus loves you, and I stand up here and yell and scream and rant like, a, like I'm mad at you, it might kind of discredit the credibility of the message. Does that make sense? The life and the message of the minister must be consistent. And so what he's saying here is, you know, if you behave like all these uh, qualities, character qualities, if you will, that we see in deacons, then those who have served well obtain for themselves a good standing and great boldness in the faith. Your, Your message gains credibility. I cannot emphasize this enough. We earn credibility as believers by our behavior. Simple as that. We earn credibility. Now, does that mean we're saved by works? Not at all. Again, does that mean if if I'm trying to witness to this person right here, first of all, does God need me to save that person? No, not at all. But if I want to have the privilege of being involved in that person's life in a way that would encourage that person toward the Lord, i got to have some credibility. And my credibility comes not by my words or by how loud I yell them, but my credibility comes by my life. Right? And so often we speak way louder without ever saying a word. And so that's what he's talking about here. Verse 16, I love this as he wraps it up. He says, And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh. God was justified in the Spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up in glory. That's the gospel message. Jesus came. Jesus came. He was manifested in the Spirit, He was, uh, in the flesh. He was justified in the Spirit. He was preached among the Gentiles. What do we preach? We preach that we're Gentiles. We're preaching Jesus that Jesus died for you, that Jesus saves us. We're preaching that, and He's believed on in the world. We're believing Him, and He's received up in glory. And so that kind of sets the stage for entering into chapter 4. Now, the Spirit expressly says that in latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to de- deceiving in spirits and doctrines of demons. Now, this word now that he starts out with really is, is also translated, but... Right. So you see the idea why I make a big deal about there's no chapter breaks and kind of the transition. The transition is, man, you get credibility by uh, by living a godly life and just being faithful, not being super religious or or, you know, anything really other than just faithful. You gain credibility by that. But, you know, there will be those in the latter times now Latter times, not to be confused with the phrase last days. He'll use last days in Second uh, Timothy chapter 3. But here he uses the, the phrase latter times. That really means any of the latter times. So not necessarily like up to like right before the rapture of the church, but latter times, the, you know, after the time of Jesus basically. Because these things had already happened at the time of this writing. Okay, so it certainly includes our times today. So in the latter times, the Spirit expressly says, Paul has given this for emphasis. He's saying, don't miss this. I mean, everything that's Scripture is given by inspiration of God, right? It's profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. That's all Scripture. And so it carries full weight. But Paul wants us to even be super aware of this not that it's this is more scripture than something else but he's just saying the spirit is expressly saying this he's saying don't miss it you know you get your credibility by by living an honorable life and god's going to uh impact the world through the gospel through the means of the church of the living god which is the pillar and ground of truth but the spirit is expressly saying that in these days there will be some who depart from the faith. Now, we all have a range of theological backgrounds, right? You know where I'm going, right? hand if you know where I'm going, right? Very good. People have never been here before. Oh, I know where he's going, right? I could divide the room pretty quickly by trying to explore whether or not you can lose your salvation, Right? That'd be foolish on my part. Just let me say this. God is completely sovereign. I am saved by grace. There is nothing I do in and of myself to earn my salvation or keep my salvation, period. Fair enough? Sovereignty people, you okay with that? All right, hang on to that. Sovereignty people, don't forget that I just said that, okay? Um, Responsibility people, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever man sows, he's going to reap. If he sows to the flesh, he's going to reap corruption. If he sows to the Spirit, he's going to reap everlasting life. We're responsible, right? Man is responsible for his actions. God is sovereign. So, I believe God saves me. And I believe... We're all sort of at different points on this, right? And we all can kind of live together in heaven right? Won't have any big theological debates in heaven, right? Don't need to have any here because these are both biblical truths. But the reality is the Spirit expressly says that in latter days, in these days, there will be some who will depart from the faith. If I can help, if I can help you sovereignty people a little bit on this one, it doesn't say that you'll lose your faith like you lose your car keys. I was talking to somebody this morning. said, You know, he's talking about he's worried, you know, one of his big worries is losing his car keys, right? We don't lose our faith like we lose our car keys. You okay with that? But there is a reality. This verse is here. Hebrews chapter six refers to the falling away of some some believers. Once they if they've tasted If they've tasted the fullness of God, it's possible for them to fall away. I believe that falling away is an active decision to fall away. It's not a passive description, right? Revelation chapter 2, verse 4, in uh, the letter to the church of Ephesus. He says, you know, this thing I have against you, you have left your first love doesn't say you've lost your first love. says you've left your first love. You have, I believe, the free will that is not, somehow, I don't understand this, and truthfully, I don't think anybody does with a human brain. So, we're all on safe ground. Somehow, God's sovereignty does not overrule my human responsibility. And yet, on the other side of that, God saves me and God sustains me. But, apart from breaking it down theologically, how about we do this? How about we take the lessons that I believe the Lord would like for us to learn from this chapter? Fair enough? Right? Because too often, we park on a theological concept and miss the lesson that we're supposed to really get from it. Right? Because we're too busy arguing about the theological question. So he says, you know, sometimes, or some, the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, some will depart from the faith. And you know what they're going to do? They're going to give heed. That's a willful choice, by the way. They're going to give heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. So can I just say this? Don't give heed to anything that's contrary to Scripture. Don't give heed to anything that's contrary to Scripture. And notice this also. What, what kind of um, spirits are they? They're deceiving. Now, I don't like that word deceiving because that means that I could be tricked by some, somebody or something or some idea that's deceptive. Does that make sense? The word deceiving means... I could be duped. Have you ever noticed that sometimes... I haven't shared this in a little while, so if you're new, you'll appreciate this. If you're old, you won't. Yeah, it's a reminder. I don't play chess with my children. All right with that? I used to when they were, like, in diapers. I smoked them when they were in diapers, right? Right? But anymore, once they kind of got to where they could walk and talk, I mean, one by one, I kid you not. I play the oldest one, mm, not going to do that anymore. Next one, mm, not going to do that anymore. All the way down the line, I don't play any of them anymore. I had this thing for the longest time, and I'd still do it today even. I see a chessboard, and I've got my strategy all lined out, and I'm going to take your queen first, and then I'm going to take your king, and I'm going to move in, and I've got it all lined out. And I've got this whole thing figured out until one of my kids says that, those two words. Checkmate, right? I've got my strategy all lined out, and it always goes awry when they say checkmate. Why do they say checkmate? Because they saw something that I don't see. I cannot look at that board and see the big picture. What do you say? So why are you teaching us the Bible? <laughs> I don't know. Because I believe with all my heart God put me here. I believe with all my heart God put me here. But you know what else you know what else I believe? I believe God allows that in my life that I'm a horrible chess player so that I will not forget that I have the capacity to not know all that I think I know. I think it's a gift that I'm a horrible chess player. I'm a pretty good basketball player but I'm a horrible chess player. Actually I'm not a very good basketball player. either. We don't always know the big picture and so that deceiving spirits thing can be a little bit creepy. So what we have to do is Anchor to what we do know. What do we know to be truth? The Scripture. The Scripture. The Scripture. If, if you're having a discussion with somebody and they want to say, well, what about you know, this idea and that idea? Go to the Scripture. Go to the Scripture. And just in terms of apologetics, if we need more sort of ammo than that you know well if what if they discount the scripture there's lots of uh, resources available as to why the scripture is valid so that's a whole nother discussion okay but just know this there will be in the latter days in these days I'll say doctrines of demons and deceiving spirits can I just say be careful the only way to have biblical discernment is to know the Bible the only way to have biblical discernment is to know the Bible so what they do they speak lies and hypocrisy Remember we talked about our credibility is all about the consistency of our lives. So these guys are talking hypocrisy, and they speak lies having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. So their their own conscience is seared with a hot iron. You ever notice that it's possible to speak a lie so long that you believe it? Is that possible? Yeah. You ever notice that it's possible to engage in a habitual sin so long that it no longer makes you feel guilty or convicted? Yeah. Is it possible? Yeah. You bet it is. You bet it is. You ever notice that, you know, I mean, we don't want to think about this too long, but if I were to engage in some kind of flagrant sin right now, I'd feel horrible about it, right? I'd feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit. I would, I would know, ooh, that was, that, that, that stinks. And then i do it again. Guess what? Doesn't quite stink so much. Do it as a life t- lifestyle pattern, right? Easy peasy. Doesn't stink a bit, right? Are we capable of that? Yes, we are. I like this analogy that he uses. He says it's like they're having, their conscience is seared with a hot iron. Seared. What's that, what's that remind us of? Reminds us of burns, right? So I'm a doctor, right? You have Here's Dr. 101 on burns. First degree burn, your skin turns red. Fair enough? Yep. Second degree burn, you get blisters. Fair enough? Yep. Third degree burn, you know, anybody know how you characterize a third degree burn? It doesn't hurt. The nerves are killed. You can get burned so much, it doesn't hurt. Like getting branded. You can get brand me all day long. I don't care. It doesn't hurt anymore. Is it possible to give heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy so long and so habitually that it no longer hurts. Can I tell you something? I'm not suggesting that any of us are doing that, but I'm telling you there are people out there that do that. Don't give heed to them. Stay clear of them. Don't punch them in the nose, be kind, be gracious, but stay clear of them, right? They're dangerous. What do they do? They forbid to marry the command to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good and nothing is to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving, for if it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. So notice this. (coughs) These particular people that were doing this Paul, or Paul just gives us a couple of examples. They're talking about foods that are more holy or less holy than others, or marriage is, is more holy than singleness or whatever like that. And, you know, even in our day, we have a little bit of a tendency to do that a little bit. Like, you know, I'm super spiritual because I don't um, eat pork, right? Because pork's bad for you, whatever. I'm just saying as an example. If you want like pork, you eat pork, right? But sometimes... I can go off on this thing, and it seems, here's the catch, Christians, it seems spiritual. It seems like it makes me a better Christian. And so I will harp on that, and I will highlight how holy I am because I don't eat meat, for example. Right? And next thing you know, I do it in a way that makes you think, oh, wow, maybe there's something wrong with me right? Now, who's the focus on in that whole discussion? Me, my holiness. You, you're less than my holiness. And what do we got? We now got a contest going on, right? Does that edify the body? No. No. Our job is to build up one another, encourage one another. And these things are things that divide us. Can I tell you this? be careful about legalism that divides Christians. As we grow in our walk with the Lord, as we grow as a body, let me just tell you this right now as as I'm, you know, part of my job is to coach the body, right? We got to be careful about legalism that divides us. I'm not really worried about Necessarily, you know, us all going out and engaging in some flagrant sin so much that our conscience is seared and that we're no longer uh, affected, you know, in terms of some flagrant sin. But I do recognize the pattern in human beings, in Christian human beings, and I've seen it over the years, that there is a capacity for us to sort of want to be a little more spiritual, and maybe we'll do it by some legalism means, and next thing you know, we're kind of comparing our Christianity to your Christianity, and whenever I compare my Christianity to your Christianity, I usually come out on top, right? And it's usually based on something that I do or don't do. Be careful, please. Be careful. Be careful. You know, every creature of God is good, and nothing is to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving. So, thank God for the pork and then eat it, right? For it's sanctified by the word of God and prayer. Pray for that pork. It's okay to say, God, please make that pork healthy, right now. If the Lord shows you that, right? Be careful about legalism you know they made a big deal about marriage right you know society's gone through these things over the years right like it's more holy to be married it's more holy not to be married it's more holy to be married it's more holy not to be married i love what paul says in first corinthians if you're married stay married if you're single don't just be content there right if god calls you into marriage awesome if God calls you to be content there, be content there, right? Does that sound like rocket science? No. That's a simple teaching of the Word, right? He said, if you instruct the brethren in these things, you'll be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished in the words of faith and of good doctrine, which you've carefully followed. And so, right, a good minister is one that simply teaches the Word. Simply teaches the words of faith and the good doctrine which you've carefully followed. You know, there's always a temptation for any teacher, any minister to add flair. I had a guy uh, talk recently about uh, he knew of somebody that uh, was a part of a glam church is what he called it. I didn't know that was a word. Is that a word? Well, it was to this guy. Okay. A glam church, right? And you know, I honestly, there's always a temptation to try to um, be super cool or super hip or super funny or super engaging or super any of that, right? And, you know, I want to be, I want to do what I can to help you stay awake, right? But I want to not take away from the, from the depth of the scripture, Right? For example, but reject profane and old wives' fables, and exercise yourself toward godliness. Now, let's think about this today, this morning. Maybe this, maybe this helps. We'll uh, be careful. So. Um, Did you know, remember the guy at the pool, Jesus said, do you want, do you want to be made well? Uh, I went back and looked up, John's chapter 5, right? Guy at the pool, and you know, he said, no, every time, he said, yeah, I want to be well, but every time I, the water gets stirred, you know. Did you know that guy was Simon the Zealot's brother? Did you know that? <laughs> Raise your hand if you think that might be Simon the Zealot's brother. Right? Raise your hand if you know why I'm saying this. Right? Because the chosen said it was. Right? Now, if you didn't know that, there's no scriptural basis for that. There's no scriptural evidence for that. Now, does that mean it's wrong? Not necessarily. It's a cool twist on the story. Right? What's the point? There's been lots of efforts... And I'm not putting them down. Please, please, please. That's why I say i got to be careful. I'm not putting them down. But if you watch The Chosen, okay, think of it as historical fiction. Is that fair? You know, think of it as historical fiction. Think of it as entertainment. My concern, when we get into what he refers to here as old wives', old wives fables, is sometimes we can catch on to a catchy storyline, and we want to run with that. Does that make sense? we got to be careful. we got to be careful. There's a possibility that there are people in the world that will learn about the life of Jesus Christ more by watching a video series than by reading their Bible. Is that possible? Yeah. And how, and do they, do they, do, do, again, there's nothing wrong with entertainment, there's nothing wrong with historical fiction, right? But we've got to exercise ourselves toward godliness. We've got to re- reject anything that departs from the scripture as being historically accurate or whatever like that, right? And so, to me, that's just a kind of a little example, right? But we should all exercise ourselves toward godliness. Now, I mentioned this last week. This word godliness is interesting. It's, word, it's mentioned 15 times in the New Testament. Eight of them are in the book of 1 Timothy. That's not insignificant in my mind. Eight out of 15 references to this word godliness are in this book of 1 Timothy. And what's Paul telling us to do here? What's Timothy, as it applies, I believe, to us, is that we exercise ourselves. You know, exercise is like work, right? Now, some of us are more given to exercise than others. I understand that. But exercise is like work. And we exercise ourselves in godliness. Exercise doesn't give us an immediate, like, necessarily, like, the results that we're going to get from exercise It's kind of like sowing and reaping, right? Whatever man sows, he reaps. If he sows to the Spirit, he's going to reap everlasting life, right? When you put a seed in the ground, and you kind of nurture the ground, and you till the ground, and you weed the ground, and you do all of that, and then you have a harvest, right? It doesn't happen like instantly. There's a sort of a sowing and reaping. And with exercise toward godliness, we find that if we exercise in godliness over a long period of time, guess what we'll become? Godly. Godly. It's no more complicated than that. Well, how do we exercise ourselves toward godliness? We read the Bible. We know the Bible. We read it. We know it. We study it. We be diligent to pray. That's why I encourage everybody to walk out of here on Sunday mornings with, a, with at least one prayer assignment in your head. We walk out of here with a prayer assignment. We pray for one another. We pray that God would direct us. We pray that God would deliver us from sin. We surrender to God. We ask God to lead us by His Holy Spirit. We deny our flesh. We we stop doing what we know is wrong. Simple as that. I mean, Christians have these terms, right? We deny the flesh. Okay, right? we stop doing what we know to be wrong. We be diligent to love others. Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself, right? If we do all those things and do them over a long period of time, do them for a few days, a few months, a few years, a few decades, guess what we'll be? Godly. And my brain keeps going back to John and Ruth Ann Stilwell back up in Indianapolis. Decades of faithfulness. You know what they were? They were godly people. Don't you want to be a part of some story like that? Wouldn't you like to be like some just just a part like not necessarily for any notoriety, but just know that God used your life in some way? For good? It's a great privilege. So he says, he goes on, he gives us a little little added detail. For bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable for all things. Having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. Now, if I start dogging on bodily exercise, right, I might get attacked by strong people, right? (laughs) Right? I had a carnal moment. uh, uh, I have those every now and then. But anyway, I had a carnal moment uh, a couple weeks back. I think it was... uh, Anyways... uh, Guys were kind of walking around and, and, you know, all this. And there were, you know who they are, but there were a couple guys over here. And I, in my mind, I'm like, I think they go to the same gym. (laughs) Right? But it's okay to go to the gym, right? And even as my kids, my kids are like, so dad, are you going to like demonstrate your exercises, right? You know, if you balance on one leg, you know, you can do that for 10 seconds. You get a a 50% less likelihood of dying in the next 10 years if you're my age. Is that worthwhile? It's worthwhile, right? Let me say it again. I I blew through that a little too fast for some of you. I can tell. (laughs) If you're my age, if yes, and to answer your question, yes, I will demonstrate. (laughs) If you're my age, and you can balance on one leg for ten seconds, your chance of dying in the next ten years is reduced by fifty percent. Is that crazy? Bodily exercise benefits a little bit, right? Right? You gotta have a gym membership to do this? (laughs) Come on, I'm talking. What'd you learn in church today? Well, (laughs) seriously, there's some benefit in bodily exercise. I always tell people, I'm planning for my 100th birthday. Why? I wanna be a steward of this life. I wanna be a good steward of this life. Part of that is, I'm planning for my 100th birthday. Well, how do you plan for your 100th birthday? Well, it affects kind of what I eat, what I do, right? How I live. Affects some relationships. Affects some financial stewardship, right? It affects lots of things, right? But in my mind, I want to plan for my 100th birthday. Is that all right? That profits a little bit, right? So it's not to put down bodily exercise. Bodily exercise has value. It's it's a part of the stewardship of this physical body that we have. But notice this. Can I tell you this? Okay, all you gym junkies now. I won't look up. (laughs) Bodily exercise profits what? A little bit. A little bit. Can I tell you this? It profits a little bit. Why? Because bodily exercise profits this life. Exercise toward godliness profits this life and the next one. Simple as that. So how, which is more valuable? Exercise toward godliness, right? So should we exercise our bodies? Yeah, as God leads, whatever. Should we exercise toward godliness? You know it. If you're a gym rat, i am just tell you this. If you're a gym rat, make sure you exercise toward godliness more than you exercise your body. Paul's putting it in perspective here. Physical exercise is real. It's legit. It's a good stewardship of our body, but it should play an inferior role to exercise toward godliness because godliness has value eternally as well as today. He said, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance. For to this end, we both labor and suffer reproach because we trust in the living God who is the Savior of all men, especially of those who believe. And so, as exercise toward godliness becomes our life goal, right? Sometimes it can be painful. Sometimes it can feel like work. Sometimes it can even bring reproach from others. Catch this? This is a faithful and... and faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance. To this end, we, we both labor. Sometimes we go through some work. And we sometimes suffer reproach. If you exercise toward godliness, are you going to suffer reproach sometimes? Yeah. Reproach from those outside the church and from inside the church, I'm sorry to say. That's a reality. If you exercise toward godliness, you may find yourself suffering some kind of reproach. What's reproach? Basically, people come against you. People don't like the way uh, you live. Your 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 um, your life sometimes, and I've seen this. I've seen a godly person walk into a room with, and it's somehow like the Holy Spirit in that person brings conviction. And some people don't like conviction. No. And so, how does it respond? Reproach. Is that a real thing? I think it's. I'm. I've experienced it. It's a real thing. It's a real thing. And so, um, but it's worthwhile. Does bodily exercise does does bodily exercise sometimes involve pain? Yeah. Does it sometimes involve work? Yeah. Does it <clears throat> but does it is it worthwhile? Yeah. But exercise toward godliness? Yes, even more so. In the same way, but even more so. He says, these things command and teach. These are the stuff we're supposed to teach others. Then he goes on in this last little few verses. He's kind of specific a little bit to Timothy, but again, they apply to us. He says, let no one despise your youth. So again, he's talking to Timothy. Timothy's probably about 35 years old. Uh, in that Jewish culture, there's a lot of things that, you know, you weren't supposed to be able to do until you were like in your 40s. And so there are a lot of people like, is Timothy even qualified to be here and all this kind of stuff? And that's why Paul went through that whole list, right, in chapter 3, right? Yes, Timothy's qualified by his depth of character, not by his age, right? So he says, let no one despise your youth. But how do you handle your critics? you be an example to the believers in word in conduct in love in spirit in faith in purity there's really a simple way to influence others and to silence your critics we're going to have critics if we live if we live especially in this culture that we live in if we live godly. If we exercise ourselves toward godliness, we will have critics in this life. Simple as that. So how do we, how do we uh, silence our critics? By yelling louder than they do? No. By being an example. How do we set an example for those that we want to influence positively? By preaching to them? Well, if that's what God calls, but mostly by our example. By our example. What kind of example? Our example in word. Be careful what we say. Be careful what we say. Be careful what we say. So much of what we say is either... Yeah, there's just so much it's okay to have a filter. Okay? It's okay to have a filter. If you've not memorized this, can I encourage you to write a verse down? Ephesians 4.29. Ephesians 4.29. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. Now, am I perfect at this? Not even close. Are any of us perfect at this? probably not even close, right? But we need to be an example in word. In conduct, how do we handle decisions? How do we handle ourselves? How do we handle ourselves in difficult situations? How do we deliver those words that I just read about? Right? So we're supposed to be an example in word. And again, I said, as I said at the beginning, our conduct, our life needs to match up with our words. So our words need to be edifying, but our conduct needs to support that. Our decisions need to support that. The way we handle ourselves in difficult situations needs to demonstrate good conduct toward godliness. In love. Do we love one another? You know, love is the fruit of the Spirit. Catch this. Catch this. Jesus told his disciples, there's one way. Catch this. There's one way that the world will know you're a Christian. Not by whether or not you have a fish on your car. Not by your doctrinal purity. Not by your church attendance or that you're a part of some church. But by your what? Love. Just chew on that. Jesus said there's one way, one way that people will know you're a Christian. By your love. Paul tells Timothy, don't don't let people look down on you. But be an example in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit. Spirit, the the Greek word is pneuma, like the breath, right? The breath. You know, when I come into a room, what does the room now smell like, if you will? The breath, right? What's the vibe? When you come into a room... What's the vibe in the room? Is it all of a sudden tense? Do people feel all of a sudden looked down upon? Or is there, is there a vibe of love and graciousness in the room? Right? Be an example in Word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith. Do we trust God enough to follow His Word? That's faith. You know, we think of faith as some like mystical. Like, if I have enough faith, I can do this. If I have enough faith, I can do this. Faith is simply enough faith to obey, right? Some of you heard me say before. I love the example. I heard a guy teach about this years ago, and it, it's stuck in my head, right? Remember the night of the Passover uh, in Egypt, right? God tells the Israelites, "Tell you what? I want you to kill a lamb. right before midnight. I want you to kill a lamb." On your doorstep, and I want you to sprinkle blood on each side and up above. And uh, the the houses that I see that happen, where I see that blood, I'm going to pass over that house. But if I don't see blood, I'm going to kill the firstborn in that house. Right? So, what is faith? Faith is. I don't quite understand that. I can't break that down theologically but I think I'm going to kill a lamb tonight. That's faith. I don't, you know, and sometimes it's like we think of faith as like, man, i got to concentrate super hard and have enough faith. Yeah, got it, right? No, faith just means I don't get it. It's okay to say I don't get it and still walk in faith. I don't get it, but tonight I'm killing a lamb. And you know what's crazy Maybe there's even an Egyptian or two that thought. Let's see, so far we've been through nine of these plagues. It's not working out real well for us. These guys are all killing lambs. I think I'm killing a lamb tonight. Right? You think maybe there's a couple of Egyptians that did that? Probably. You know what we call that? Faith. It's no more complicated than that. What did Paul tell Timothy? Be an example in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith and in purity. Again, this purity, it's not perfection. It just means not having a double life. Till I come, give attention to the reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. That's what we're doing, right? Simple as that. Do not neglect the gift that is In you, which was given to you by the prophecy with laying on of the hands of the eldership. And so apparently, you know, historians say there's some spiritual gift uh, confirmed by somebody's prophetic word uh, prior to this time. And Timothy's just encouraged by Paul to walk in that. Now, again, that's no more complicated than that, right? We all, there's there's a whole list, I won't go through them in the interest of time, but there's a whole list of spiritual gifts given by the Holy Spirit to Christians. Right, and he gives he gives those gifts one or more of those gifts to all Christians. And you might say, "Well, what is mine?" Personally, I think it's okay if you don't even know. But if you do know, and sometimes, as we know, we walk in that. For example, I mean, they're not. Let's say, let's say you find yourself super hospitable, like. Some people, it seems like it's a big deal to... You ever been to somebody's house? Like, and it seems like they're super uptight in hosting you. You ever ever been to that? Been to somebody's house for dinner or for an event or whatever like that? And they're like fumbling all over themselves, right? And it's kind of awkward, right? And yet other people, it's like... It's just welcoming. Some people... Have have, I believe, the gift of hospitality. You know what? If you have the gift of hospitality, what should you do with that? Use it. Use it. You have the gift... Whatever, there's a whole list of them. Again, I, I'm, I'm trying to avoid going through the whole list, right? You have to give, have a gift of giving. Some people, there's a spiritual gift of giving. God gives them a, a, really a, a supernatural gift bent towards giving their lives away, giving money away. And usually with that, also gives them the resources to do it, right? If you've got that, use it. That'll bless the body. That'll build up the body. There's a whole list of them, right? For Timothy, we don't know what the spiritual gift was, but he's supposed to use it. Whatever your spiritual gift is, use it. Don't get caught up necessarily on what is it. Just follow the Lord. Just obey his word. And he says, he goes on, he says, Meditate on these things. Give yourselves, give yourself entirely to them. Entirely. That your progress may be evident to all. Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them. For in doing this, you will save both yourself and those who hear you. And so, if we exercise ourselves toward godliness, if we meditate on these things and give ourselves entirely to them, Guess what? Sooner or later, we're going to be godly, right? As I talk to various people in the room, even today, right? There's some people that say, I just want to be more godly. That's a great prayer, by the way. I want to be more godly. Exercise yourself. Do more of what you're supposed to do, less of what you're not supposed to do, right? You look at somebody that... Looks like they've been in the gym for a few decades, right? There's probably things they do, and there's probably things they don't do. There's probably things they eat, there's probably things they don't eat, right? Is that a law? No. But as, you know, that profits a little bit, for sure, right? How much more exercise toward godliness? You talk to somebody, I mean, I love, I love being around godly older people. There's just something sweet about it. Something sweet about it. Somebody has been walking with the Lord faithfully for decades, you know what they got? they got? They got credibility. They've, I'm sure, been through hard times. I'm sure they've had a little bit of reproach. I'm sure they've had opportunity to silence the critics. I'm sure they've had opportunity to silence the critics with the example in these things. But there's just something sweet about that kind of life. And we have the privilege to do that. So, beware of false doctrines and legalism particularly from those who've walked away super dangerous don't give heed to them know that the best defense against false doctrine is to exercise toward godliness and know that over time as we exercise in godliness we're going to be strong in the lord right ephesians the whole armor chapter right the the passage there in chapter 6 starts off be strong in the lord and in the power of his might, right? That's a great way to be, strong in the Lord. And as we do that, we find ourselves having a voice, having the credibility to positively impact a world that needs help, a world that needs Jesus. Not the world that needs this church, not a world that needs my influence, but a world that needs Jesus. And that's the message we want to share. Let's pray. Lord, thanks for your goodness and thanks that you give us these just simple truths in your word that as we exercise toward godliness you develop that in our in our lives. Lord, thanks that you have saved us. Thanks that you give us your word, thanks that you give us your holy spirit. Thanks that you give us all that is Required for life and godliness. Lord, help us to walk in those things. Help us to exercise those things. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Everybody have an awesome, awesome week.